Well, hello everyone, and welcome to Watch Party, Lord of the Rings on Prime. We've got a special edition for you today to celebrate Tolkien Reading Day. Hooray! Happy Tolkien Reading Day! It's like Christmas and Thanksgiving and every holiday you could ever imagine all rolled into one, except you only celebrate it with your your fellow nerd friends. And it's a, That's right. It's a holiday invented by the Tolkien Society several years ago. It's set on March 25th because that's the day that the ring was destroyed in The Lord of the Rings. Um, so it's definitely a day to celebrate. Absolutely. And boy, are we celebrating this year. Michael and I are both going to be participating in the international celebration, uh, which we'll have more information about later. Um, But today on the pod, we're going to both do a selection of readings um, that we have that we've picked out. And the Tolkien Society every year sets a theme. And I think in years past, it has been, you know, themes of family or home. Well, this year's theme is hope and courage. How does Tolkien's writings inspire hope and courage in us, in his characters. And so we both selected a couple of passages that speak to that. And um, Jen, why don't you start us off? What what passage do you select today to celebrate hope and courage? Well, I'm going to be reading a passage from The Two Towers. Um, and in my copy, it's page 362. So I'm not going to give too much. It's pretty self-explanatory, so I'm just going to jump right in. And you'll probably recognize a lot of this passage. There, There is a lot of this dialogue um, in the films. So I'm just going to jump in. I don't like anything here at all, said Frodo. Step or stone, breath or bone, air, earth, air, and water all seem accursed. But so our path is laid. Yes, that's so, said Sam. And we shouldn't be here at all. If we'd known more about it before we started... But I suppose it's often that way. The brave things in the old tales and songs, Mr. Frodo. Adventures, as I used to call them. I used to think that they were things the wonderful folk of the stories went out and looked for because they wanted them, because they were exciting and life was a bit dull. A kind of sport, as you might say. But that's not the way of it. With the tales that really mattered or the ones that stay in the mind. Folk seem to have been just landed in them. Usually their paths were laid that way, as you put it. But I expect they had lots of chances, like us, of turning back, only they didn't. And if they had, we shouldn't know, because they'd have been forgotten. We hear about those tales as just went on, and not all to a good end, mind you, and least not to what folk inside a story and not outside it call a good end. You know, coming home and finding things all right, though not quite the same, like old Mr. Bilbo. But those aren't always the best tales to hear, though they may be the best tales to get landed in. I wonder what sort of a tale we've fallen into. I wonder, said Frodo, but I don't know. And that's the way of a real tale. Take any one that you're fond of. You may know or guess what kind of tale it is, happy ending or sad ending, but the people in it don't know, and you don't want them to. No, sir, of course not. Baron, now, he never thought he was going to get that Silmaril from the Iron Crown in Thangor Rodrim. And yet he did, and that was a worse place and a blacker danger than ours. But that's a long tale, of course, and it goes on past the happiness and into grief and beyond it. And the Silmaril went on and came to Arendil. And why, sir, I never thought of that before. We've got, you've got some of the light of it in that star glass the lady gave you. Why, to think of it, we're in the same tale still. It's still going on. Don't the great tales never end? No, they never end as tales, said Frodo, but the people in them come and go when their parts ended. Our part will end later or sooner. 
And then we can have some rest and some sleep, said Sam. He laughed grimly. And I mean just that, Mr. Frodo. I mean plain, ordinary rest and sleep and waking up to a morning's work in the garden. I'm afraid that's all I'm hoping for all the time. All the big important plans are not for my sort. Still, I wonder if we shall ever be put into songs or tales. We're in one, of course, but I mean put into words, you know, told by the fireside or read out of a great book with red and black letters years and years afterwards. And people will say, let's hear about Frodo in the ring. And they'll say, yes, that's one of my favorite stories. Frodo was very brave, wasn't he, Dad? Yes, my boy, the most famous of hobbits, and that's saying a lot. It's saying a lot too much, said Frodo, and he laughed, a long, clear laugh from his heart. Such a sound had not been heard in those places since Sauron came to Middle-earth. To Sam, suddenly it seemed as if all the stones were listening, and the tall rocks leaning over them. But Frodo did not heed them. He laughed again. Why, Sam, he said, to hear you somehow makes me as merry as if the story was already written. But you've left out one of the chief characters, Samwise the Stout-Hearted. I want to hear more about Sam, Dad. Why didn't they put in more of his talk, Dad? That's what I like. It makes me laugh. And Frodo would not have got far without Sam, would he, Dad? And um, so that's the end of the section uh, that I'm going to read. I love that. Yeah, it's a... It's a really great That's section. Such a beautiful, it, there's so much so much kindness in that section. Yes, yeah, so much kindness and so much truth. And you know, the past year, 2020, for for so many of us, I think everybody on planet Earth had their struggles in 2020. It was a year at times that seemed like we'd landed in a strange tale, as as Sam says, in a in a in a darkness in a way, and how is this gonna end, you know? And I think that that like Sam's hopefulness throughout um, and his courage is something that truly inspires me and I think is a beautiful part of this whole story. So I, I felt like that passage was really befitting um, for for the year that all of us all of us had. <laughs> something I like about that passage is so it takes place before they've reached their darkest moment in their journey. I mean, there are darker things yet to come. And, you know, Sam's courage and bravery uh, evolves as the story goes on and he continues to be courageous, but his perspective does change over time as, as they reach darker and darker challenges. But at this point, it's, you know, the nature of his hope, it still almost strikes me as a, a childlike hope in a way. You know, he's, he's thinking in a meta way about their journey. You know, he's thinking about how it would, uh, how he viewed adventures um, from the perspective of a listener to tales and well, how will our adventure um, be told in tales? So he's thinking about it in a very meta way, um, which you can only really do when you're not in your, the deepest, darkest throes of your, of your challenge, you know? And so it's, it's still early enough that he's able to think this way. And I, you know, I, I think back to the way this was adapted in Peter Jackson's films that they, they adapted it a little differently. I think um, it's a much, much more heartfelt. I mean, remember this is this is when they put it into um, Faramir takes them uh, away, and it's like at the end of the movie. And, uh, am I remembering that right? It's like at the end of the movie, and yes. he has this speech, and it's tearful, it's heart wrenching. It's you know, it's right after Frodo has sort of su- survived a close encounter with one of the Nazgul, and um, it's this heartfelt tear-jerking speech that Sam gives that 
convinces Faramir to let them let them go. And it doesn't read that way to me in the book. It's a little more, I don't want to say lighthearted, but it's um, there's a moment of happiness. It, it's uplifting to Frodo. Yeah, there's in a, a way moment that's different. of levity. Yeah, yeah. Whereas it's a little heavier in the movie. Um, yeah, it's a little bit heavier and um, more in the film, but Sam's part of Sam's uh, contribution to this is his is his spirit and his levity and his hopefulness and that can, not nobody embodies hopefulness I think the way Samwise Gamgee does which is part of also why I chose this right right and that's you know you hear at the end of the passage that you know Frodo it 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 makes him smile you know it makes him and I think it's because it's you know Frodo's carrying this heavy burden that's weighing him down and then here is Sam coming in with this sort of childlike ray of sunshine wondering how their adventures will be told uh, you know, in the future. And Frodo may not even be able to imagine a future at this point. You know, he, he's going through such a, a, he's in such a dark place, but, you know, Sam coming in, uh, talking about what a child will be saying to their papa, you know, and asking, tell us about Frodo. And I, I just love how that, um, that lightness brings strength to Frodo in a dark time. And that's, that's a version of hope and courage that is really, really beautiful and simple. Yes, simple and beautiful, and I love the the clear um, bond between these two and their strength. Um, the front, the strength of their friendship is something that I I just find really inspirational, and they and they get through together. Um, and that's another, you know, wonderful theme throughout this throughout this book is that um, they would not have gotten through as as Frodo says he wouldn't have gotten through without Sam. And, um, yeah, nobody writes bromances quite like Tolkien does. <laughs> he loves a good bromance. Yeah. And I, I have heard, you know, that Sam Gamgee is, is really similar to, he's, he's sort of similar to the way that, um, these, the, the average World War II foot soldier would have been, uh, characterized and mm. thought of, conceived of. And, uh, I think that's, I think that's pretty fitting. That's an interesting, that's an interesting perspective. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's a, you know, I'm not sure if that's what Tolkien intended or not, but, um, I love that his spirit, you know, is never dampened as Frodo says in an earlier passage and, um, his courage to just, to soldier on even when, you know, they're at the foot of Mount Doom and they can't, they feel like they can't go any further. Yeah. I mean, in a way he is the true hero of Lord of the Rings. You know, I think that that's a lot of people's take on the on the series is that he's kind of secretly the hidden hero. Yeah. Oh, most definitely. So hats off to you, Samwise Gamgee on this Tolkien reading day. Um, and Michael, I'm, I'm, I can't wait to hear what you've got for us. So I picked a passage from the children of Hurin, which is one of my favorite stories that Tolkien released. And I'm going to read from, uh, you know, the, the, the tales of, uh, Huron and his children show up in the Silmarillion and in other places, but there is a standalone uh, publication called The Children of Huron that I just love. And I'm going to read a, a little selection from that, from the chapter titled uh, The Battle of Unnumbered Tears. And it has one of my not just favorite passages in the Legendarium, but it's very hopeful. It's one of the most hopeful passages in the Legendarium. And it's, of course, The Battle of Unnumbered Tears, you can gather from the the title that it is in many ways a disaster of a battle you know it's not the happiest of tales no no it's it's 
And just to be clear, these are not tiers of happiness. It's not an unnumbered tiers of happiness. These are bad tiers. <laughs> so the battle doesn't go so well. And so I'm going to pick up in a place, you know, we can talk more about it after I read the passage. But uh, by this point in the battle, um, the men of the West and the elves of uh, folk of Nargothrond are are losing, essentially. The battle is is not going well for them, and there's very little hope left. And the Hurin has been an ally of Turgon and Fingon, the high elves of the Noldor, and here they stand together in a very dire hour. Now the phalanx of the guard of the king broke through the ranks of the orcs, and Turgon hewed his way to the side of his brother. And it is said that the meeting of Turgon with Hurin, who stood beside Fingon, was glad in the midst of the battle. For a while then the hosts of Angband were, dri- were driven back, and Fingon again began to retreat. But having routed Maedros in the east, Morgoth had now great forces to spare, and before Fingon and Turgon could come to the shelter of the hills, they were assailed by a tide of foes, thrice greater than all the force that was left to them. Gothmog, high captain of Angband, was come, and he drove a dark wedge between the elven hosts, surrounding King Fingon and thrusting Turgon and Hurin aside towards the Fen of Serik. Then he turned upon Fingon. That was a grim meeting. At last Fingon stood alone with his guard dead about him, and he fought with Gothmog until a Balrog came behind him and cast a thong of steel around him. Then Gothmog hewed him with his black axe, and a white flame sprang up from the helm of Fingon as it was cloven. Thus fell the king of the Noldor, and they beat him into the dust with their maces, and his banner, blue and silver, they trod into the mire of his blood. The field was lost, but still Hurin and Hurur and the remnant of the house of Hador stood firm with Turgon of Gondolin, and the hosts of Morgoth could not yet win the passes of Syrian. Then Hurin spoke to Turgon, saying, Go now, Lord, while time is... For you are the last of the house of Fingolfin, and in you lives the last hope of the Eldar. While Gondolin stands, Morgoth shall still no fear in his heart. Not long now can Gondolin remain hidden, and being discovered it must fall, said Turgon. Yet if it stands only a little while, said Huor, then out of your house shall come the hopes of men and elves. This I say to you, Lord, with the eyes of death, though we part here forever, and I shall not look on your white walls again. From you and from me a new star shall arise. Farewell. Maglin, Turgon's sister's son who stood by, heard these words and did not forget them. Then Turgon took the counsel of Hurin and Huor, and he gave orders that his host should begin a retreat into the passes of Syrian. And his captains, Ecthelion and Glorfindel, guarded the flanks to right and left so that none of the enemy should pass them by for the only road in that region was narrow and ran near the west bank of the growing stream of Syrian. But the men of Dorlomen held the rear guard as Huron and Huor desired, for they did not wish in their hearts to escape from the Northlands. And if they could not win back to their homes, there they would stand to the end. So it was that Turgon fought his way southward, until coming down behind the guard of Huron and Huor, he passed down Syrian and escaped and he vanished into the mountains and was hidden from the eyes of Morgoth. But the brothers drew the remnant of the mighty men of the house of Hador about them, and foot by foot they withdrew, until they came behind the Fen of Serik, 
and had the stream of Revilba behind them, before them. There they stood and gave way no more. Then all the hosts of Angband swarmed against them, and they bridged the stream with their dead, and encircled the remnant of Hithlam as a gathering tide about a rock. There, as the sun westered and the shadows of the arid withering grew dark, Huor fell pierced with a venomed arrow in the eye, and all the valiant men of Hador were slain about him in a heap, and the orcs hewed their heads and piled them as a mound of gold in the sunset. Last of all, Huron stood alone. Then he cast aside his shield and seized the axe of an orc captain and wheeled it two-handed, and it is sung that the axe smoked in the black blood of the troll guard of Gothmog until it withered, and each time that he slew, Huron cried aloud, Are and Tuluva! Day shall come again! Seventy times he uttered that cry, but they took him at last alive by the command of Morgoth, who thought thus to do him more evil than by death. Therefore the orcs grappled Huron with their hands, which clung to him still, though he hewed off their arms, and ever their numbers were renewed, till he fell buried beneath them. Then Gothmog bound him and dragged him to Angband with mockery. Thus ended the Nirnaeth Arnoidiad, as the sun went down beyond the sea. Night fell in Hithlam, and there came a great storm of wind out of the west. Wow. Day shall come again. I love that. Yeah, I mean, this is just a, one of the most powerful scenes in this entire book. And it's, I mean, it's followed by, I, I was tempted to read the following chapter, which is, when he's brought before Morgoth and his words with Morgoth are so inspiring because he is defiant in the face of utter and absolute hopelessness. He is defiant to the devil. And that is right. also he never inspiring. surrenders. Right. He never surrenders and gives up. And yeah, that is like a really classic Tolkien battle scene and good versus evil. Just heads. It's quite violent, actually. Oh, my language. gosh. Yeah. <laughs> This is this is graphic. not the uh, the rated G or PG version that's uh, friendly for kids. This is some rated R stuff. It is some rated R stuff. Well, the children of Hurin is not. It is. It's pretty pretty dark. I think some someday we'll cover that on the pod. Yeah. But um, yeah, that's a powerful uh, passage, and I love the rallying cries and the visuals and the and the like you said, hopefulness in in the face of you know utter defeat. Yeah, and this is this is a different version of of hope and courage because for Hurin, there was little to no hope. There's basically no hope for their own lives. I mean, they're making a last stand. They're willing to sacrifice themselves and know that they are likely to die, um, almost surely going to die, but they're, they're doing it to save their friends so that they may have hope. So that there's hope for the world, even if not for them. And that Which is a major theme throughout mm-hmm. Tolkien's works. Yeah. Also. And the sort of premonition, the foresight that Huron has when he has that, uh, utters that line, uh, you know, though I shall not look on your white walls again, from you and from me, a new star shall arise, speaking to Turgon. I mean, you know, he's foreseeing Erendil, you know, who's, who's their heir, uh, you know, offspring over a couple generations. Erendil comes from them. So, I mean, you know, a new star shall arise. Of course, Erendil becomes a star. So that's a very literal and beautifully poetic um, piece of foresight that, that Huron has. So, you know, even though his end is, is awful um, and 
they are utterly defeated and Turgon's in retreat. We know as readers, having read the full Silmarillion, that if not for this act of bravery and this courage and defiance in the face of defeat and you know seeming hopelessness, um, the all literally all the peoples of the world wouldn't be saved at the end of the first age because Arendil wouldn't be born and be able to to save the world. So, um, you know, we know there is this ray of sunshine, this spark of this spark of hope that comes out of this act of courage in, in the face of seeming hopelessness. It's really wonderful. Yeah, that's that was beautiful. Thank you for reading that. And to all the listeners out there, I wish you courage and hopefulness um, for the days to come. We hope you've enjoyed our little our selections from Tolkien's Legendarium, and I hope that you get a minute to sit down with with something that Tolkien wrote and and get some uh, absorb some of that in you, into your day into your life. And uh, thank you so much for for listening, for tuning in again. And um, and we'll see you next time.